Hello and welcome to the Two Guys Four Balls podcast. Once again to the Two Guys Four Balls podcast. Uh, of course, it's draft night going on, uh, NFL draft preview night. So that's the main focus for the night. That's the main event. But we still have other things going on in sports, as we always do. So uh, we're going to run through some NBA playoffs talk real quick, get into a couple other things. And we're going to just kick it off right now. We're going to start with the one NBA series that's already over. The Philadelphia 76ers take out the Brooklyn Nets. The only sweep we'll see in the first round, 4-0. This series was interesting. What stood out to me uh, as much as anything was Tobias Harris kind of reminding folks, I'm not a scrub. You know, I I feel like Tobias Harris has got the short end of the stick, you know, partially because, you know, the Sixers kind of picked him over Jimmy Butler, which, I mean, they should have done that. But, you know, that's been part of it. And partially because I just feel like, like he sacrificed a lot of his game so that guys like Embiid and Harden can shine. And instead of getting credit for sacrificing, people just think, oh, he's overrated. And he showed you in this series, no, I can play. I can play. Tobias Harris may not be the best player on a great team or anything like that, but when he's needed, when he's called upon, he was able to deliver and be productive in this series. So, so that was good to see him kind of, again, remind people, I'm actually a quality player on, on this team. Uh, but when you look at this series, we thought it would be a mismatch. I thought the Nets would find a way to win a game in this series. And multiple times in this series, the Nets were in position to win games. Um, You had games where Michael Bridges started off hot in the half. You had games where Cameron Johnson started off hot in the half. And the Nets just were never able to sustain it. Uh, But the better team definitely won this series. Whether it was going to be four games or five games didn't make much of a difference. The fact that the Sixers were able to win a game without Joel Embiid uh, <clears throat> speaks a lot. The fact that the Sixers were able to win a game uh, with James Harden being ejected uh, speaks out uh, speaks a lot about this team and just how much of a mismatch this series was. And I just want to get into this, to this right now because it's something that's bothered me. And by now, you understand when something bothers me, I, I call it out. We got to stop this thing where guys are automatically getting ejected for incidental contact to the crown jewels. We got we got to stop that. James Harden didn't even deserve a flagrant foul. At, at worst, he deserved a personal foul for accidentally hitting Royce O'Neal down low. But if you look at what he did, clearly it was a basketball move. If guys are that concerned about getting hit down there, they have these crazy inventions called protective cups. You're allowed to wear them. And, you know, not that that takes all the impact away, but you, you suspect of how these guys are reacting to barely getting hit there. That, that nobody's wearing anymore. I mean, this may, may not be the cool thing to do anymore. But we, we can't have these games being impacted like this. We can't have players, and especially star players, being ejected, um, again, for incidental contact that doesn't involve any type of a wind-up, any type of a forceful strike or anything like that. I, I just don't like to see that at all. And I wanted to bring it up about this game because – you know, people don't have as much emotionally invested in this series as they do the other series where we saw a similar thing happen. Uh, so, you know, just, they just got to fix that up 
before it impacts the series. It didn't impact this series, and the Sixers are so much better than the Nets. But uh, let's let's clean that up. Let's let's figure out a way around this before it really ruins what's going to be a better series later on in the postseason. I mean, if anyone should have been ejected, it should have been Embiid for kicking for kicking dude, and that's yeah. not not yeah. harder. When, when you when you try to take a size twenty two to somebody's crown jewels, <laughs> that's just a flagrant one. But if you wave your hand as part of a basketball move and hit somebody on accident, then it's a flagrant too. That makes a whole lot of sense. Um, yeah, so for me, I, I called I called a lot of sweeps. I don't want to say a lot, but I called a lot of sweeps. This was one of them, and they ended up sweeping the Nets. Um, so for me, no shock. Uh, Mikael Bridges uh, definitely, I feel like, has shown out uh, ever since being traded to the Nets, and I feel like, you know, definitely good for him to, to not only be seen as a 3 and D type of player, um, and, and he definitely is definitely a catalyst that you can build around. Um, you know, big Tobias Harris fan, not in the sense of like, I'm going to be like, Tobias Harris is the greatest basketball player in the world, but just in the fact that, um, you know, because the Clippers gave him to the Sixers and, and that's, he, when he was with the Clippers, he was the number one option and you could see the flashes that he showed in this series. Um, he was their most consistent player every night. Uh, and I know people are going to say that that's crazy, but he was. He was their most consistent player for the entire series. Um, Maxi had a good game or a couple good games. Uh, Harden had a good game here and there. Obviously, he got ejected once of his stats in that game are going to be kind of. Um, but And then Embiid had, you know, first couple games were really good. And then he kind of, not for Joel Embiid standards. Um, but no, Tobias Harris definitely. Um, showed out in this game that he is a solid basketball player and that when given the opportunity, he can make plays and, and, and kind of lead a team. Um, again, I'm not going to put him above Harden or Embiid, and I don't want him taking shots whenever they should be taking shots. But again, just to see him come come out in this, and it, hopefully it translates to the further rounds because if he just does it against the Nets and then, doesn't show up against whoever they're going to play in the second round, then it's all for nothing, in my opinion. They're going to need, they're going to need him if they want to make a serious run, um, you know, at at a championship. So, um, yeah. So moving on to a series that we thought was going to be very intriguing, and in the first two games, it was uh, was the Cleveland Cavaliers and New York Knicks. Um, you know, just staying in the East. And we thought that this would be a very intriguing series. And, and they've been low-scoring games and a lot of defense, a lot of bad offense. Um, and for me, uh, I picked the Cavaliers to win this series, but I'm, I'm just more disappointed in how they're playing. And I don't know if it's a Donovan Mitchell thing or if it's just a Cleveland Cavaliers thing or a Darius Garland thing, um, a coaching thing, but... It just seems like this is what happens, Julius, every postseason with a Donovan Mitchell-led team. It just seems like they underperform once we get into the playoffs. And Donovan Mitchell has had nice games uh, in this series. Uh, obviously, the only win they have is when he scored his least amount of points and Garland went off and, other, and others were involved. Um, but I did not see the Knicks leading the series 3-1 right now. Now, 
could the Cavaliers get back into this series? I think they could. I think they have the talent to. Uh, but Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart, to your credit, um, and actually R.J. Barrett the last two games has shown up at home. Um, definitely, I wasn't expecting R.J. Barrett to show up the way he did. Uh, even Julius Randle hasn't have been having the type of performances he was having in the regular season. So, um, you know, shout out to the Knicks. I did not see this coming. You called it. I definitely thought I thought it could go six or seven. Uh, we said that from the get-go, that this was going to be the most intriguing matchup in the East first round. Um, but I did not see the domination that has been the New York Knicks in this series. Uh, yeah, when I picked the Knicks to win this series, I, I said that I felt like this was a close, tight matchup, but I felt like the difference was going to be that the Knicks were going to enjoy a better, more advantageous home court than the Cavaliers were. And that's exactly how it's turned out. Uh, these these New York Knicks fans, they are as passionate as it gets. I mean, they are they're right up there with I mean it, it's a college kind of environment. It feels like the Cameron Crazies or something when the Knicks are actually good and playing at Madison Square Garden. So my thing was, as long as the Knicks can find a way to win a game in Cleveland and they manage to do that in game in, in game one to get that off their back early in the series. They managed to squeak that out. That was huge. Now, this series is not over. The, the Knicks still have to win another game. But you could see, it seemed like the Knicks could hang in in Cleveland. And the Cavaliers are having a hard time hanging in in New York. Uh, one thing I did say about this series is that you're talking about two teams that are two of the slower-paced offensive teams in the league throughout the regular season. So I expected low scoring games in this series. Uh, you are getting that. Um, but Patrick, you touched on it. If the Cavaliers have any chance of coming back in this series, Donovan Mitchell has to find a way to be more efficient. He, he has been completely shut down, particularly in the second halves of these games, especially the last couple of second halves. He's really struggled. And when he's not going uh, this offense has a tough time. They do have, you know, as I said, they have Darius Garland who can score at times. Karis LeVert has been a little better than normal in this series, so I, I do like to see that. Uh, other guys have had their moments for the Cavaliers, but uh, they just just too much of a burden to try to overcome uh, when the when uh, Donovan Mitchell is not going for the Cavaliers. And you touched on it. Julius Randle had a very poor Game Four. I uh, didn't even want to talk to the media afterwards because he played so poorly. Uh, but they were willing to sit him on the bench. They've they rolled with other big men. Uh, guys like Isaiah Hartenstein are showing up and having an impact. Guys like Obi Toppin are coming up and having a, a big impact. And I talked about at the end of the season how some of those guys got a chance to play with Randall being out and with Brunson missing some games. And I think that has helped the Knicks. Uh, their role players having those more prominent roles. So now they can overcome uh, whether it's a star struggling or some of their depth being out. They were missing Quentin Grimes in this game, and you know they still managed to, to pull this one out So uh, as far as Game 4 goes. So uh, the Knicks look to be in good shape. Uh, like I said, that, that Villanova uh, duo of Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart, I like it a lot. That was a big reason why I picked the Knicks to win this series. But again, I just do want to reiterate, this series is going back to Cleveland. 
And if you're the Cavaliers, you feel like, hey, defend home court and then try to figure out a way to, to deal with that New York crowd as, as well as the inspired Knicks uh, when they play at home. Game six is going to be tough. But, again, if you're Cleveland, you just have to say, you know what, we can't worry about winning three games in a row. We just have to try to win game five and then take it from there. Moving on to the series that has me stunned, I, I will already just go ahead and, and issue my apologies to the Miami Heat. I, I thought this was going to be a sweep. I thought the Bucks were going to take them out easily. I, I talked about how the, the Heat just struggled too much for offense, way too often for me to put any faith in them. And, you know, the Bucks to me, were the best team in the league. So I just thought it was a mismatch. I thought the Bucs were, you know, the Bucs were one of the best defensive teams in the league. So I thought they really shut down Miami's offense. And this series has been anything but. And I understand that Giannis Antetokounmpo missed a couple of games in this series. But I, I am shocked with how, how Miami is performing in this series. Playoff Jimmy has gone <laughs> to another level in this series, and if you watched him play tonight, I mean, you want to talk about the last couple games setting the tone. Jimmy Butler in game three, I believe, had 19 points in the first quarter, and then tonight in the first quarter had 22, I believe. Yeah, I know he had 22 of the Heat's first 28 points, and he's doing all this while still giving a top-notch effort defensively, while still chasing after loose balls. The level of energy he's playing with and the level of energy and confidence he's injecting into this Miami Heat team is, is insane. Jimmy Butler is playing like he's the best player in the league right now. And that's in a series with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now, again, Antetokounmpo not quite the same player. as He didn't, didn't look like it tonight uh, coming back. His first game uh, coming from a, a bad back situation. But uh, even with Giannis returning, Jimmy Butler was far away the best player on the, on the court tonight. It was, it was amazing to see. And the bottom line is, anytime that Butler gets any kind of help, uh, Miami can can take it to a, another level. I didn't know where that help was going to come from necessarily. Tyler Hero out for the series. Victor Oladipo, unfortunately. I hate to say it, but maybe a career-ending type of injury. It's, it, that, that's how tough it is to come back from a torn patella tendon, especially when you have his injury history. So with a Heat team that at full strength isn't great offensively, a Heat team that's got their second-best player in Bam Adebayo struggling offensively, the fact that, you know, somebody like a Duncan Robinson can show up and return to, to the form we saw a few years ago, it looks good. It looks good for the Heat. Uh, again, from a Milwaukee, I'm, I'm just stunned. Even acknowledging that Anthony Cooper missed a couple of games, the fact that they're getting burned defensively and the fact that in this game, game four, they had an opportunity to win this game. They had a lead. And they blew it. And they, they pretty much let Jimmy Butler come back single-handedly in this game. And they look like a team that, that lacks poison, had bad turnovers and big moments. It, it's just shocking to me how this series has played out. Again, Milwaukee was my pick to win the championship. And, again, it's not over. They got two games left at home, theoretically. But my uh, Milwaukee has to turn it around because this this is not a fluke looking three to game three games to one right now. Yeah, on our last podcast, uh, I specifically remember talking about 
Giannis being out, and if it was significant, that worried me because even though the Bucks were a good team in the regular season, it's always different when you get into the postseason with superstars and you don't have one. That's just a fact in the NBA. A superstar, as we talked about with the NHL, a goalkeeper can take over and win you games and, and series in hockey. A superstar for basketball, for some reason, can take over and win a series or a few games for you um, in the NBA. And Jimmy Butler did that tonight. Milwaukee is up by 11 with about four minutes remaining in this game. Um, and the Heat go on a 13-0 run. Pretty much Jimmy Butler goes on the 13-0 run. Um, not saying that other people did not contribute because Caleb Martin hit some shots. Uh, but I'm just saying that Jimmy was the driving force behind their offense tonight. Um, and he had 56, so obviously. Um, but th- that was my big concern. Uh, yes, Giannis was back today, and Brooke Lopez was your best player. So, um, And I, that's not anything to take away from Brooke. I know you talked about how he had a great regular season and all that stuff. I'm just saying, when... You need Middleton and and Drew to show up for you in these games, uh, especially when Giannis was out, and they just haven't done that. And I get that Giannis makes the offense and makes things a lot better, but this also goes to not trusting Budenholzer for me. Uh, Even when he was with the Hawks and had good teams, I just, you know, it's just one of those things where you just, things creep up uh, from the past where you just kind of start to question, like, is that the best thing that you could have done in that situation? But um, I said it. I said I was worried about the Bucks uh, once Giannis got hurt um, because the Heat matchup with the one eight was probably the worst matchup they could have gotten. Um, with Giannis hurt, I think they still could have pretty much rolled through the Hawks. Um, it's not as easy to get someone the caliber of Jimmy Butler's level, especially once we get into the playoffs because playoff Jimmy is a real thing. Um, it's just harder to get a guy like that out. So, um, again, it's definitely not over because, again, the Bucks are one of the best teams in the NBA. Um, so if anyone can come back from 3-1, it's them, especially, as Julia said. They got two games at home still uh, if they can force a Game 7. Um, but it's it's going to be tough. But also, the good news, if you are a Bucks fan, Jimmy Butler's probably not going off for 56 again. You know, he, he probably, that was the highest point total in his career. So he's probably not doing that again. And nope, and if no one else is going to show up for the Heat, Milwaukee can win the games. So um, by no means is this series over. Um, again, Jimmy Butler most likely is not going off for 56 again. Not saying that it can't happen. Um, but the odds are he most likely will not do that again. Um, so... You know the Bucks have a chance, um, and and I, I think that they will at least be going back to Miami. Um, I don't think they'll lose the closeout game uh, for the Heat at home, uh, but we'll see. So, um, and then moving on to the last series uh, in the East, the Boston Celtics and Atlanta Hawks, another series that I thought would be a sweep. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a gentleman sweep. Uh, since DeJounte Murray decided to chest bump an official leaving uh, game four for some reason. Don't know why players do dumb things uh, after the fact and the game's already over. I understand you're heated. I understand it's a playoff game. I get all that. Don't understand why you're chest bumping the official 
and then jawing at somebody when you're walking off. I don't know who that was, but definitely not a good look. Uh, and with him suspended, there's no way the Hawks beat Boston. Uh, and Boston is most likely going to close this out uh, with a 4-1. Um, and and I was surprised the Hawks won one game. Um, and, and that was a game where the Celtics were pretty much off the entire game, uh, especially Tatum until late in the second half where he started to get his, his points. But, um, yeah, this, this series, again, went pretty much how I expected it, how most of us expected it. Um, and the, the Hawks are just an overmatched team. As soon as they got the seventh seed and we knew they were going up against Boston, we figured this would be a quick series, and that looks like what it's going to be. Again, I don't really have much faith in the Hawks with Murray out, uh, and I think that uh, the Celtics will wrap this up pretty easily. Julius? Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that. Uh, I don't have an answer either for why DeJounte Murray did what he did. I'm sure somewhere Greg Popovich is shaking his head and thinking to himself he, he taught DeJounte better than that. I don't know what that was about. I, I'm sure there was some issue in, in DeJounte Murray's head, but I didn't watch game four and think, boy, the refs really cost the Hawks this game. I, I, I just didn't come away with that thought. Um, the interesting thing in this series are a couple of interesting things. One, there have been times in this series, particularly in game three where the Hawks won, where this offense has flowed pretty well with Trey Young either out of the game or off the ball. Uh, so that that's something that um I, I want to take note of. I, I don't want to. I don't want to go as far as to say, "Oh, yeah, they're they're better without Trey Young. They need to get rid of Trey Young or something like that." But I did notice at times in this series, whether Young was on the bench and they went on a bit of a run, or if they decided to put the ball in Dejounte Murray's hands more, uh, the offense flowed better. So that's something to keep in mind. But like you said, since Murray suspended, we don't have to worry about that. It's going to have to be in Trey Young's hands, and somebody's going to have to step up, and I don't know uh, who that's going to be. So uh, the, Celt the Celtics have the Hawks in a tough spot. Uh, but the other thing that stood out to me is this is a series where I thought the Celtics' defensive prowess would show more than it has. I feel like, especially in Atlanta, the Hawks are getting way too much of what they want on offense. There's not as much defensive resistance from Boston as I expected. And I don't know if that's just Boston kind of relaxing because they know they're better than Atlanta or whether that's something for me to be concerned about because the competition is going to pick up in a hurry when the Celtics take on the Sixers in the next round. So I'd like to see the Celtics start to play some better defense. And hopefully I see some of that in Game 5, again, especially without, De without DeJounte Murray there. Uh, but that that's the one concern I do have for Boston. Their offense has been just fine. Of course, we know Atlanta is not exactly a shutdown defensive team, so you expect Boston to uh, to look pretty good offensively. But I think they're going to have to be better defensively if they're going to get through the East, and particularly if they're going to get through the Sixers. Uh, the other thing with this series, just real quick, I gotta gotta blow the whistle on whoever's in charge of confetti. Uh, I don't know how confetti starts to drop, you know, in the middle of a game. <laughs> especially in the middle of a playoff game. What are you doing? And and I'll just go ahead and say it. Especially in the middle of a playoff game, you probably weren't going to win. <laughs> Why is the confetti dropping? I don't know what that was about. Uh, we, we, we can't be having weather delays in the middle of a basketball game. It's ridiculous. 
so hopefully next year, because I don't think this series gets back to Atlanta, hopefully next year um, that gets straightened up. But uh, just a little trinket I found in this series to be funny. But, yeah, like you said, that series is going as expected. Uh, you and I both thought the Celtics would win in either four or five. I predicted them in five games. So uh, that series looks like it's going to be just that most likely. That was definitely a Celtics uh, Celtics uh, employee trolling, trolling guy got got access to the to the confetti. <laughs> you can't you can't let your confetti get hacked. You can't be you're supposed to have home court advantage. If if you get your confetti hacked, you don't really have home court advantage. Oh man! Moving over to the Western Conference, we've got the Nuggets and Timberwolves. Uh, this is a series that I. Another series that I thought would go five. I thought this would be uh, a series, like like you like to say, gentlemen sweep. I thought this series would be a five-game sweep. That said, uh, once the Nuggets got up 3-0, I was concerned. Because the the game, in a a five-game series, normally the game to get is game three. When you're you're the team on the short end of losing 4-1 in a series. And when the Timberwolves couldn't get that game, I I got concerned. But uh, game four, the Timberwolves looked like they were in control, and then the Timberwolves tried to Timberwolf this game away a couple of times. Had a big lead late in regulation, blew it, uh, got bailed out by Nikola Jokic uh, missing a free throw. And Jokic has been very subpar at the free throw line of the series. I think that's just kind of one of those things. I don't think there's much of an explanation or anything to analyze there, just... Every now and then, you go through a bit of a slump, even if you're an MVP caliber player. But, uh, you know, you get to overtime, and again, Minnesota looks like they're in prime position to win, and then they almost timber-wolf it away again. But uh, Anthony Edwards really bailed them out this game. He was the best player for Minnesota by far, and he was their most clutch player when they needed it. Uh, You can see that he definitely wasn't ready to go home. So uh, that was nice to see. Uh, Anthony Edwards is now second all-time as far as uh, 30-plus point playoff games, I think before the age of 21 or something like that. So uh, he's <laughs> coming into his own very quickly in the postseason. And quite frankly, somebody else has got to follow his lead. And I'm looking at Carl Anthony Towns. There's just too many times. While I'm looking up, and it's like Anthony Edwards has attempted 25 shots, and Carl Anthony Towns has attempted nine. And by the way, six of the nine are three pointers. You're too good of a player, Carl Anthony Towns. Too good of an offensive player to, to be settling for that, um, especially when you have an opportunity potentially to make somebody like Jokic work more than he wants to defensively. I, I just think that he has to do more for this team, and you know it's probably not going to happen because uh, I, I don't see the Timberwolves winning a game in Denver, but I, I just like to see him go out a little more aggressively and avoid the dumb fouls. You know, Carl Anthony Towns, there's too often you see him with five or six fouls, and the last foul is always something silly. Uh, you want to see a guy who has enough experience to know how to play and know how to avoid certain situations when you have five fouls. Uh, we're seeing too many silly fouls defensively. We're seeing too many fouls that are silly fouls with screens. And uh, because of all that, I just I just don't see Minnesota winning. But I look forward to being able to see Anthony Edwards potentially go off one more time after he had a rough start 
uh, to his postseason. If you remember how he performed in his first playing game, it's nice to see him come around and really, really carry this offense. On uh, the Denver side, we're seeing what we expect to see. Nikola Jokic, of course, putting up big numbers, putting up bigger numbers in, in, the, in the loss. Uh, he's trying to will them uh, to a win in that game. Again, missed the crucial free throw, but otherwise had a very good offensive game. Um, you're also seeing uh, Jamal Murray kind of regain his uh, pre-injury form, so people like to see that. You're also seeing Michael Porter Jr. have nice moments in this series. It hasn't necessarily been consistent because sometimes he's not aggressive enough, but uh, you see spurts where, again, he looks like that player that had all that promise uh, when he was being drafted a few years ago. So <clears throat> Denver looks like a dangerous team, even though they lost this last game, just kind of tripped up. But uh, otherwise, this series is, a, once again, another series that's pretty much going as expected for us. Yeah, after the first two games uh, in this series, I said Anthony Edwards needs to play better, and he certainly has. Um, cannot take anything away from that kid. He is doing his best to make sure, uh, and he did his best to make sure that his team did not get swept. Um, and then... Just moving over on to, there's nothing else to say about about the Timberwolves. Uh, you know, I, if I start getting into it, I'm going to start ranting on Carl Anthony Towns, and I don't I don't need to do go there. Um, but it's just it's just ridiculous that you have that many high draft picks with it with you know Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, and one just seems to shrink all the time in big moments, and it's not Anthony Edwards. So again, I know he had a rough start to the playoffs and to the play-in and to the first couple games in this series. Um, but uh, he definitely has redeemed himself with his past with his last couple performances. Um, but, yeah, if you're a Timberwolves fan, you just have to be frustrated just watching how this team plays, um, especially since, again, how much you gave up to get Gobert and, and, and to pair him with Towns and... Got rid of Russell for who knows why, but you did. And just, you know, just a lot of interesting moves, which it seems like the Timberwolves, as Julia said, is always going to Timberwolf. So, um, yeah, this series, though, going expected. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. is having some moments. I'm not going to say he's having a great series by any means, but he's definitely having some moments that, as Julia said, you're kind of like, okay, I can see why uh, they took a flyer on him. Um, but I expect this uh, series to be over in Denver, uh, and then for them to just be waiting for their next opponent. Uh, I'll just move down to the 2-7, uh, which is Memphis, L.A., and this series has been um, super exciting. Uh, you know, L.A. is our one team that we both had uh, probably exceeding expectations in the playoffs, um, and, and we thought that they could beat the Memphis and we both had them potentially making the finals. Um, so, you know, to see them leading the series and, and in a close battle tonight, uh, in overtime to, to try to take a three, one lead, uh, Morant only missed one game, uh, with that hand injury and the game that he missed, they won. So that's kind of funny. Uh, we're talking about, you know, how you talk about with Trey young and how the Hawks looked, um, you know, the one game that he misses, uh, the, the Grizzlies won. So, uh, again, it's just something weird about the NBA and um, kind of the resilience that a team will show when their best player goes out. Um, but we talked about it with uh, 
you know, with Tyus Jones that we just thought that he was that good of a backup that he could be a starter on another team, um, but he's not. So, um, you know, just wasn't surprising to see them get a W. To see that uh, Xavier Tillman was the catalyst to that win was a little shocking. Um, but, uh, you know, this is a really good series. Uh, Dylan Brooks, I don't know what you're doing and why you're calling out a multiple-time MVP and someone who's in the conversation for greatest of all time. Don't know why you would decide that's the person I'm going to talk my trash to. And people can say they like his confidence and blah, 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 blah. It's just dumb. You know, you may hate LeBron and say, it doesn't matter if you trash talk him, blah, blah, blah. I'm not trash talking an all-time great player when I'm trying to win a playoff series, especially after my best player just hurt his hand and we don't know when we're going to get him back. So I'm glad he decided he wasn't going to talk to the media after they, they called an L. <laughs> but again, just, I just don't understand the, I just don't understand the thought process behind that trash talk in that moment. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, why give someone bulletin board material when they don't need it? It just doesn't make sense. Um, but I guess you got to admire his confidence. And as Julius always says, Dylan Brooks is the only one that doesn't think Dylan Brooks is bad. So, um, I guess maybe that's why he thought he could trash talk, uh, an all time great and get away with it. But, uh, this has definitely been an interesting series. Uh, definitely been a fun series to watch with a lot of dynamics. Um, and, and so we'll see how it progresses, but we'll see if LA can pull this win out or if it's going to be tied two two. Yeah, we're in overtime at this at this game four right now, and you know, as I'm watching this game, I see that LeBron James has 20 rebounds, and that just again speaks as a reminder uh, to people that you know, no Stephen Adams, uh, no Brandon Clark, they just don't have enough of an interior presence, and you know, that that's so, that's a place where if you're Memphis, you were hoping to have an advantage. Uh, a few months ago, you thought you would have an advantage there, and, and now you don't. You have to live life uh, knowing that you're going to get kind of beat up on the glass here. It is odd that the one game Memphis won wasn't a game where, and I, I will continue to uh, give Anthony Davis his credit, but in game two, Anthony Davis was outperformed by Xavier Tillman Sr., and that, that just absolutely can't happen. Anthony Davis is way too good for somebody like Tillman, who, again, is the third option, basically, for Memphis at center uh, to, to get in there and, and outperform him. That, that, that can't happen. Uh, as far as Dylan Brooks goes, I don't mind the trash talk. I, I really don't. I, I don't. I don't believe that you just go up to a great player and it's like, oh, okay, you're, you're great and I can't talk to you. Uh, keep the same energy you keep with everybody else. Dylan Brooks does this with everybody. It, it shouldn't be looked at as different or special just because he's doing it to LeBron James. I promise you, this is just who Dylan Brooks is, and that's who he always been. It's just that the spotlight gets escalated when you do anything to LeBron James. Again, Dylan Brooks ejected from a game for hitting LeBron James accidentally down low. Again, shouldn't have been ejected. It's, it's silly. It's silly that guys are getting ejected, and we're talking about even potentially suspending guys for accidental shots down low when you can clearly see Dylan Brooks made a basketball move defensively on LeBron James. Didn't turn out right. It's an accident. You apologize for it and move on. I mean, in boxing, incidental low blows happen all the time. You don't disqualify a fighter for one accidental low blow. You understand that that's a part of the game sometimes. 
Same thing in basketball. It's just ridiculous that guys are getting ejected for that. And I just had to say that one more time. But I do have a problem with, with Dylan Brooks. Is that, again, I'll say it again. Dylan Brooks is the only guy who doesn't know that Dylan Brooks can't shoot. And I don't mind you talking trash. I do mind you shooting 32% from the field. And continuing to shoot. Like you're not shooting 32% from the field. Dylan Brooks right now is the ultimate you're open for a reason player. And the Lakers will sit there and, and let you get suckered into that. And if he's going to keep attempting 13, 14, 15 shots and making four of them, that's only going to work in the Lakers' favor, again, especially because you don't have nearly the rebounding presence that they do. So that's the biggest concern for me right now for Memphis is the fact that you're relying on him to take too many shots on the team where you have John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain. Like, you have much better shooting options than Brooks. There's no reason why he should continue to put all these bricks up. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's number one problem. And it looks like in this game, the Lakers might be in position to pull this out. And if they do, this series is over. There's just no way Memphis is going to win three games in a row uh, in this series. So the, the Memphis is going to have to find a way to get a miracle. It's just tough to see. It's almost miraculous. They got to overtime in this game. But this game looks like it's about to be a wrap. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. Lakers up 3-1. And, yeah, this, this series is pretty much done. And uh, we won't be talking about Dylan Brooks anymore until next season. And I just want to clarify, I do not care about the trash talking. I don't care about people trash. We talked about this with Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark. I don't care about the trash talking. It's who's trash talking who is what I have a problem with. If John Moran did it, I don't care. Sure, you're both superstars. Go ahead. Do what you got to do because you can back it up. I've never seen Dylan Brooks drop 40 in a game. And he's talking about drop 40 on me, then I'll respect you. Dylan Brooks, why don't you drop 20 and then I'll respect you? Like, what, what are we talking about here? That's, that's, what I, that's what I have a problem with. This guy is hilarious. Um, it made me laugh because I was just like, what are we doing here? And that, that was just, I don't care. Again, he can trash talk all he wants. If you back it up, that's when I respect you more. The fact that he can't even back up his own trash talk to me is, is hilarious. And then, yeah, I will say this. Don't, don't encourage Dylan Brooks to score 20 points. He will. It, it might take him 37 shots, but he'll do it. <laughs> so I, I, I don't want to encourage that. I am all for being who you are. So that's my thing. Dylan Brooks does this to everybody. If it wasn't LeBron James, if, if they were playing the, the Spurs, he'd be doing it to Keldon Johnson. If they were playing the Rockets, he'd be doing this to Jalen Green. So my thing is, be who you are. Don't, don't just bow down because, oh my gosh, it's LeBron James. I should cower in fear like his fans would want me to. You don't have to do that. But my thing is, make the, <laughs> either make the stop shots or stop shooting. Please do one or the other. That, that's my thing. Trash talk or no trash talk. Because if, if Dylan Brooks was quiet and shooting five for 16, he's still hurting the team. Like, like, I'm not worried about whether or not you're talking trash or who you're talking trash to. I'm worried about the, the results. I'm worried about the fact that you keep shooting and missing. That, that's what's killing us right now. And oh, by the way, it's not, you're not exactly stopping LeBron James either. So it's problematic on both ends of the court. So that that's that's my problem with all of this. That's the problem though. He could stop Keldon Johnson potentially or Jalen Green. He ain't stopping LeBron and he's talking trash about, it, which is hilarious. 
Um, oh, oh yeah, and, and he would be the same way. He, he's 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 been that guy. He's been that guy. If he was going up against Shea Gilgis Alexander, Shea Gilgis Alexander can score 30, 35 on him, and he'd still be talking trash. Just who he is. Again, but, which I would have a problem with. I don't. I don't care that it's LeBron. I don't care that it's LeBron. If he was, if they were going up against the Kings and he was talking trash to De'Aaron Fox and De'Aaron Fox was dropping thirty-five on him, I'd be like, "Shut up! Stop talking trash. You're ruining. You you can't back it up. You're not doing anything." So again, I just want to make sure that people know it's not. I don't care that he said it to LeBron. I just don't understand why you're saying it to a player that is way better than you, and you're not stopping them right now. You're not. You're not. You're not holding LeBron to. 20 points a game or something that is respectable like you said that and then you let him drop 30 plus on you so it's just hilarious to me that again you're if you're gonna do it you better come out and have the best game of your career and he didn't right like you make you make those statements and then you don't even back it up so it's just it's just silly to me that y'all haven't even won a playoff series really right they went out early last year to the to golden state and and y'all still have this unbridled confidence like y'all have made it to uh western conference finals and you haven't so let's 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 knock some things off the resume first before we're telling people to drop 40 on us in a play in a playoff game and he just he just managed to get another miss in with with about five seconds left so <laughs> that, 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 that that's what i'm talking about like even if you were being quiet it, it, it wouldn't help because you keep missing shots. <laughs> like, even if you, because there, there's no shame, right, in not stopping LeBron James. I haven't seen anybody consistently do it yet. Oh, no, not at all. But when you're not stopping them and you're consistently giving us 5 for 14, 3 for 13, 4 for 11, that's where you're hurt. And again, it'd be one thing if if you were playing for a team like Miami, where it's it's Jimmy Butler and a hope and a prayer beyond him on offense. You have good offensive players in Memphis. You have guys that can score. You have yeah, even somebody like Luke Kennard might not be a great scorer, but he's an excellent shooter. There are just too many better options. There should never be a game, as as far as I'm concerned, there should never be a game where Dylan Brooks takes more than five or six shots, unless a couple guys are injured. But at full strength, stop shooting the ball. Please. Moving on to the Suns and Clippers, I, I, I just, I just hate the turn this series took. Uh, you and I, Patrick, agreed that this had the potential to not just be the best series of the first round, maybe one of the best series in all of the postseason. And after the first game, you and I were on the same page. We'll take six more of these, no matter how this series goes. And then we get the news after game two that Kawhi Leonard's injured once again and potentially out for the series. Now, I do want to take a moment to say I'm tired of people trying to extrapolate and draw conclusions that aren't really there. As a lot of people saying, oh, uh, Kawhi's missing these games because of, of family matters. Why would he be at the game if he's missing the, if, if, if he's not playing for family matters? I, I just don't understand why when it comes to Kawhi Leonard and Anthony Davis, they have to like prove that they're hurt. I understand Kawhi Leonard's missed more games than we liked. I understand Anthony Davis has. I also understand that in this 
whole season alone, we've also seen Giannis Antetokounmpo get hurt, miss games. Seen John Morant get hurt, miss game. Um, we've seen Joel Embiid get hurt, miss game. How the heroes probably out for the rest of the playoffs. I mean, we, we've seen plenty of other guys get hurt. That's just the NBA we're in now, where guys are getting hurt left and right. And I still think it's because load management is having the opposite impact. There's unintended consequences to load managing. It's just my theory. But injuries are way up for everybody. And I'm just tired of one or two guys getting picked on for being hurt in a league where it seems like everybody's hurt. So I'm just, I'm just tired of that. And again, we, we saw, I'll talk about this a little later, but De'Aaron Fox, you can add him to that list. I mean, it's just one star after another going down in the NBA and yet, again, there's only two guys that need doctor's notes to prove to you that they're injured. I just get sick of that. But uh, without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, all of a sudden, Suns versus Clippers, just not nearly the intrigue that it once had. Um, my guy, Russell Westbrook, has been going off and doing everything that he can. Uh, he's reminded folks that he still has something left in the tank. This is still not prime Russell Westbrook, uh, but it's still an effective player, a player who continues to shoot a shockingly efficient percentage, game one of this series aside. Uh, um, Russell Westbrook is still going to have to figure out, because you can't he can't play this style next to Kawhi Leonard or Paul George. So if they keep this core together, he's going to have to figure out how to, how to find that good balance between being this aggressive and this efficient scoring the ball but also understanding that you're going to have to do so in a diminished role at best as a, as a third option on this team. Uh, other guys have tried to step up. We've seen Norman Powell have a big game, uh, so give him his credit as well. Uh, Mason Plumley, another one of those guys who the Clippers got at the trade deadline. He's having a nice series, but it's just not enough uh, when you don't have your star players. And, Patrick, you, you talked about star players in the postseason, and uh, the bottom line is the Suns have theirs and the Clippers don't. Uh, Devin Booker just looks completely invincible right now. And it's the Kevin Durant effect. I mean, Devin Booker went from being double teamed and to the point where he's constantly complaining about being double teamed to now, not only can you not put two guys on him because you have Kevin Durant on there, you can't even put your best defender on Devin Booker because you have Kevin Durant out there. And Devin Booker, we, we've seen this guy score 70 points when he's been uh, the main focus of a defense. We've seen him have plenty of other 40 and 50 point performances. Again, when he's the main focus of the defense, now you can't even focus on him defensively. It's lights out. It's easy money for Devin Booker right now. And Kevin Durant is still doing Kevin Durant things. Uh, he's kind of settled into a role where he's kind of being supportive of Devin Booker, but Kevin Durant's the kind of player. I mean, as amazing as he is, and why I call him the most complete score I've ever seen, he can go out there and take the same number of shots Dylan Brooks takes. And while Dylan Brooks scores 10 points on 15 shots, Kevin Durant scores 30 points on 15 shots. So it's just a beautiful thing to watch those two play together and mesh. Again, I wish the Clippers had their full squad to give this uh, fair fight. But as it stands, it doesn't look like Leonard's going to be back. It doesn't look like Paul George is going to be back. Uh, this series, unfortunately, is going to be a wrap fairly soon. And we're just going to have to enjoy what we're seeing out of the combination of uh, Durant and Booker. But I do want to do this. I do want to give a shout-out to Durant, Booker, and Chris Paul. And I know people are uh, people who know me might be a little surprised, but those three 
are playing tremendous amounts of minutes. Maybe more than they should. We'll see if they can keep it up for an entire postseason. But they are doing what's necessary. They're going out and playing 40-plus minutes. And in the case of Durant and Paul, they're not exactly young guys. And they're going out and playing these big minutes. Uh, it speaks to the lack of depth for the Suns, which is going to be a problem at some point in the postseason as far as I'm concerned. But for now, it's a nice thing to see those three being able to play such heavy minutes and still be as productive and efficient as all three of them have been. Yeah, this was one of those series we talked about that we were very excited to watch. Um, and we've talked about this throughout the season that load management is clearly not working. Kawhi Leonard was load managed this entire season for the postseason. The Clippers did this for the postseason, and he can't even finish a series. Um, and, it, and it just sucks because as a basketball fan, this series, after the first two games, you it had everything you wanted. It had, had Russell Westbrook beating his chest and yelling at fans and... And it's funny sound bites of Kevin Durant being like, I don't want nothing to deal with you, gangster. And just all these funny things that make a series a great, like the potential to be a great series. And then, you know, you lose another star player, which we've lost way too many in this postseason. Um, and it just, it just sucks because, again, it started off with the potential to be an all-time great playoff series. Um, my biggest concern for the Suns, and people may not think it's a big concern, but the fact that they're having issues winning the games with just Russell Westbrook playing, um, and they let Norman Powell drop 30-plus on them. I, he might have gotten 40, actually. Um, he got 40. That's a concern, because you're playing a team that doesn't have its best players, um, you know, arguably it's two best players on offense and defense, and that's what you're letting happen. I know maybe they take their foot off. I know people say that, you know, teams can take their foot off the pedal and do that and that because they know that the team just isn't going to be able to compete. But they're struggling to win these guys. It's not like they're blowouts. They're not beating these guys by 30 points and 20 points. Um, you know, and, and that's a little concerning to me, you know. And, again, they may – they may be taking it a little bit easier, but as Julia said, they're they're still playing heavy minutes, and and they're and they need all of those minutes to get these wins. So, um, that is my biggest concern and takeaway from this series right now. Because even with the injuries, Clippers are still playing them tough and, and still giving them everything they can handle. So that concerns me moving forward. Um, and I'm as I've said. I'm concerned about their depth and them playing all these minutes and being older. We've seen them already have injuries in the postseason before, uh, specifically Durant and CP3. Uh, that just makes me nervous uh, moving forward. So if they can seal the deal this next game and, and get out of there 4-1, you know, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Uh, but if for some reason the Clippers do – and I know Russ wants to. I know he's going to do his best to try and push that series to a, to another game. Um, if they can make that happen for some reason, that's not that's not good look for 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 the Suns. 
Uh, moving on to the 3-6, which is the Sacramento Kings at the Golden State Warriors. Um, the Warriors' road troubles continue <laughs> into the postseason. Um, Draymond Green doing dumb things. Just like I said, why would Dylan Brooks be doing what he's doing? Why is Draymond Green doing what he's doing? Um, again, do I think it warranted a suspension? I don't. But you know the league doesn't mess with you, Draymond Green. You know they're looking for any excuse to suspend you. And, and they even cited uh, past history and repeat offenses and all that crap. They're just looking for a reason to, to suspend you. They don't, they don't like who you are. They don't like what you stand for. Don't give them a reason and don't hurt your team when you guys are already down uh, 1-0 in the series. And essentially, you were down 2-0. So... Um, Luckily for the Warriors, they came out of Game 3 with a W, and then they came out of Game 4 with a W, and that was a very close contested game. Uh, Harrison Barnes took the last shot, which I'm sure the Warriors fans loved. Um, you know, And De'Aaron Fox apparently broke the tip of his index finger or something and may or may not play Game 5. So the Kings season could be slipping away as we... As we know it, but again, guess what? The Kings are going home, so maybe not. We, I just don't know what Warriors team I'm going to get. Um, and Steph Curry is doing everything he can do to, to win these games. Um, this is the most I think I've seen Curry put on his plate in a postseason, and I don't know if that can just if that's sustainable going forward in some of these uh, matchups. Uh, but the Kings and Warriors has actually been a really fun series to watch. Um, and and De'Aaron Fox needs another person to step up for his team. You'd think it would be Sabonis, the all-star. He has not had a good series at all. Um, besides grabbing Draymond's leg and getting him suspended, he has not done anything memorable to this point. Uh, you expect him to kind of break out of it. Maybe it's some of the Warriors' scheme to let the guards go off. I don't know why they would want De'Aaron Fox going off, but... Just like I said, I didn't think Malik Monk would ever do what he did in Game 1 again, and he's kind of faded, and that's really hurt uh, the Kings. But, um, yeah, th th this has been a real entertaining series, Julius, and and shout to De'Aaron Fox just doing what he's been able to do in this series, and he definitely needs another person from his team to step it up like they were doing in the regular season. Yeah, another potentially great series, a series that has been absolutely great so far through four games that has uh, the potential to now be marred by an injury. Uh, so with De'Aaron Fox, we are talking about a fracture on the tip of his finger, but the problem is it's on the shooting hand. So either he's not going to be able to play through it or he's going to be compromised. Um, and he's really been shooting the ball well from the outside. The Warriors have given him a lot of outside shots because they know they can't really stay in front of him. And, and he's knocking down those mid-range and beyond shots. And that's kind of making the, series, the, the difference in this series is that he's able to consistently knock those down. You have to give something. When you're dealing with somebody who's that quick and that crafty with the ball, you have to give him something. They're giving him the outside shot. He's knocking it down. Um, <clears throat> a few things in this series. One, I actually agreed with Draymond Green getting suspended. I just think that there's no excuse to do what he did and I know people say, oh, well, what's supposed to happen? He got his foot grabbed. What you wanted to do? What you wanted to do? Jamal Green been around too long uh, to be goaded into something that silly. You can get a guy up off you 
without stomping on him than standing completely on him and jumping off of him like like he's a trampoline. You don't have to do that. And if you don't think that that's the case, I would just want to let people know because this was not made a big deal out of because nothing happened. And so if you weren't watching the game, you didn't see it. <clears throat> a couple games ago, Jay Crowder grabbed Jimmy Butler's leg. You know what Jimmy Butler did? Nothing. That's what you're supposed to do in that situation. You let the ref handle it. You don't get up and stomp them. You don't cause yourself disqualification. You don't mess your team up knowing that they're struggling defensively with you. (laughs) And so they're only going to get worse without you. You can't do that if you're Draymond Green. I'm sorry. There's no excuse for it. Uh, You've been around long enough. Like you said, Patrick, Draymond Green is well aware of what his reputation is and how the league views him. So to put yourself in a position to get suspended, you deserve to get suspended. The other thing is, even though the Warriors won game four, in these games, the Kings, the young, inexperienced Kings, look like the more poised team. Golden State did everything in their power to blow that game, game four. Mm-hmm. Stephen Curry been around too long. I, I know Steve Kerr can sit here and say, I, I should have reminded the guys everything else. Stephen Curry been around too long. You've been around a long time, 34 years old, I believe, 34, 35, somewhere around there. You're a multiple MVP, multiple champion, finals MVP. Your resume is as full as it can get. You can't not know that you don't have a timeout. You can't, you can't. So to call a timeout you don't have to give the Kings life and then to come back on the next possession when you're still ahead and the clock is winding down, and to take a contested two-point shot with 10 seconds on the shot clock is insanity. If you make the shot, it's still a one-possession game. If you miss the shot, which you did, Stephen Curry, it gives Sacramento a great shot at winning the game. I just have no clue what he was thinking on that. So, again, these are the mistakes I expect the Kings to make. Because they don't have playoff experience. They haven't been there before. They're supposed to be the team choking at the end. But it's Golden State. That's a concern for me. They didn't do a great job of closing out this game at home. The only thing that Golden State did right is leave Harrison Barnes open for the last shot in game four. I will say this again. We can talk about Draymond Green being suspended, Andrew Bogut being hurt, whatever other excuse you want to come up with as to why Golden State lost that one uh, championship to the Cavaliers a few years ago. The number one reason Golden State lost that series is because Harrison Barnes became the worst shooter on earth in that series. He made Dylan Brooks look like Stephen Curry with the way he shot in that series. So the Warriors of all teams, even though it's several years later now, the Warriors of all teams know With something important on the line, let Harrison Barnes shoot. That's the one thing Golden State did right. They forced the ball out of Fox's hands. A a nice play by Draymond, by the way, to get the ball out of Fox's hands. And live with Harrison Barnes shooting that shot because you know there's a 90% chance he's going to miss. And I'm probably being generous to to say it's only a 90% chance of a miss. But I'm sorry. The Warriors... Don't look like a poised team at all. And it's shocking to me to, to see the Warriors have all these young team tendencies. 
I expect a young team to be a night and day team on the road versus at home. Not a team that's been through it four times for championships. I expect an experienced team to have their defense travel on the road. Not happening with Golden State. I expect an experienced team to not let a young team go them into technical fouls. You're not seeing that with Golden State. The one thing I do have to give Draymond Green credit for is his proposal to come off the bench in game four. I thought that was a pretty nice way to redeem himself because he's, he's got some redemption to do with that team with the way this season's gone. So he did do that, came off the bench, and had a major impact in this game. He did start the second half. They needed him to. And he did play starters minutes. And I always say it's not necessarily who starts the game. It's who ends the game. It's most important in, in basketball. Um, but, yeah, just, you just see too many of these moments where Golden State looks like the clueless team. Golden State looks like the team that hasn't been there before. And even with De'Aaron Fox compromised, I still don't know that Golden State is going to win on the road. And in years past, oh, you tell me De'Aaron Fox is out. Oh, Golden State by 20. I don't care if the game's in Sacramento. This Golden State team, can they carry anything on the road? I don't know. I've yet to see it. They haven't shown me yet they can win in Sacramento. I believe they can. But I believe they can with an absence of actual evidence. So Golden State's going to have to have to really get some things together, really straighten up some things in this series. Uh, it's a 2-2 series. You have to feel like the Warriors do have an advantage because of their experience and because of the injury situation with De'Aaron Fox. But uh, there, there's still concerns here. I do want to give Keegan Murray a little credit. He struggled tremendously the first three games of the series. He came through in game four. Now, for some reason, the commentators were talking about, oh, here's the evolution of Keegan Murray's game. And I'm like, eh, this game hasn't evolved. He's just had three bad games. If you watch him in college, it's not like he's just a spot-up shooter and that's it. He, he can get to the mid-range and create his own baskets. So I, I was surprised that they said that on the broadcast. But, um, yeah, Golden State is lucky to be 2-2 in this series. Uh, they really didn't deserve to win game four. Again, the one good thing they did was let Harrison Barnes take the last shot. But, uh, yeah, again, this is why I couldn't pick Golden State to win the West this year because there's just too much that I see that's problematic, things that you would think would be correctable, but we're now 86 games in the Golden State season, and they still haven't been corrected. So I don't have any reason to believe that that's going to change even if they can't get past Sacramento in this series. Moving on to the NHL playoffs, uh, because we talked about that on our last podcast um, so far, most of my predictions of what was going to happen look good, and some are iffy because a lot of the series are 2-2. So, in a shocking to me, the Kraken uh, are tied the series with the Avalanche uh, 2-2. Golden Knights are up on the Jets 3-1, which I thought that they would move in all advance. Maple Leaves with a hell of a comeback tonight <laughs> to win in overtime after being down uh, 4-1. Uh, get three goals in the third, and then give, score the game winner in overtime to take the series lead 3-1, and I had them getting past the Lightning finally. Um, and then the Devils won, so they tied the Rangers 2-2 in their series. Um, Hurricane are up 3-1 against the Islanders, which is what I called. Bruins are up 3-1 against the Panthers, which I'm sure most people called. Um, the Stars... 
uh, are tied with Minnesota 2-2, and that has been a great series to watch, the two overtime games. Uh, and then the Oilers, which uh, is my team. That's our, that's our mind enjoys his team. Uh, and Leon Dreisaitl, Leon Dreisaitl has been having a phenomenal series. Uh, Connor McDavid has kind of started to show up finally, and he didn't really show up the first two games, but Dreisaitl has been just killing it in this series. Um, they get an overtime win after getting an overtime loss, uh, and they tie the series up 2-2. Um, so, again, just really good hockey. Um, a lot of these have been close games. A lot of them have been either overtime games or one-score games. Um, it's It's been really fun to watch. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see if the Hurricane can close out the Islanders tomorrow night. Um, you know, and then you got the Wild Stars and Kings Oilers. So who's going to take that all-important 3-2 lead in that series? Uh, so we have, you know, two really good, high-anticipated matchups tomorrow uh, with the Stars in the Wild and the Oilers and the Kings. And I'm um, just excited to see kind of how these shape up and, and, and can the Lightning bounce back from 3-1 after this which a really bad loss. You know, again, being up 4-1 and to give up three goals in the third to go to overtime to the Maple Leafs and then to lose, uh, that's just a rough way to lose and to go down 3-1 where it looks like you're going to go tied up 2-2 and then to just go down 3-1, that's going to be a tough for them to win three games in a row. But then again, hockey is unlike any other sport and rattling off three in a row uh, is doable because if the puck bounces a certain way, if one guy misses an assignment, if the goalkeeper's looking left and he should have been looking right, you can score it, and that's how you can get a W. So, um, again, a lot of good matchups, and most of these uh, games have been close games. They haven't been blowouts. I know the Bruins have blown the Panthers out here and there, but um, most of these games have been one or two score games, and it's just been a great playoff so far. Uh, yep, not going to get too much into the details here. Again, I will be the first to say I'm just a fan learning the game uh, for NHL last couple of years. Uh, so I'm, I'm just enjoying what I'm seeing. And I, and I will reiterate this, and this won't be the last time, but playoff hockey. You, you do not have to be a hockey fan to appreciate playoff hockey. Uh, just so intense from one game to the next. Every game truly is its own game. It doesn't matter how badly you lose one game. Those two teams can come right back, and the other team wins. Uh, just a couple of things, a couple of shout-outs I want to make outside of my man Leon Dreisaitl. You know I'm always going to shout him out. But um, we talked about the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, we both highlighted Nathan McKinnon, and I failed to mention Nico Rantanen as being one of their best players as well. Uh, he's really having himself quite a series, and even though Colorado came up short tonight, Another overtime game. We just got overtimes left and right. That's what makes hockey so great. Get overtimes left and right, and they can end at any moment, literally. But Miko Rantanen has been going off in this series. He's one of the main reasons that Colorado had a 2-1 lead and is still in this series. Uh, so that's going to continue to be a fun series. Uh, and just another observation I had, Patrick, you and I have talked about how, how much of a difference goaltending makes. And when you look at the Rangers-Devils series, it highlights it more than any other series in this postseason. The first couple of games in this series, the Rangers win 5-1 both games. Uh, so a couple of beatdowns. Uh, those were with Vitek Vanacek at goaltender for the Devils. So they had Vanacek in, the Devils did, and the Devils lose the first two games. 
they make the switch. They go to Akira Schmid for games three and four. And the same Rangers team that scored 10 goals in the first two games held to a grand total of two goals in the next two games by Schmidt. So that lets you know how much this series has turned completely because the Devils made a change at goaltender. And, you know, everything else stays the same, basically. He's still dealing with pretty much the same offensive players. Of course, the Rangers are still going with Igor Shesterskin. There's no reason you're going to switch from him. And he's playing well even in the losses. But a change like that, one player, one goaltender, can change the entire course of a series. So uh, that's just part of the uniqueness of hockey is that you have that one position that matters that much. And in a sport where most of your star players, especially your star forwards, are really only going to play a third to maybe not less than less than half the game. But in a 60-minute game, your stars are probably going to play 20, 25 minutes. Your goaltender is out there the whole time normally. And, you know, you got to give them a lot of credit when they do pick up these wins and step up in games like that. So uh, just a couple of cool observations there. But it's just it's just fun. It's just fun. It's just a fun postseason. Uh, you talked about the Maple Leafs. You know, they they, they won back-to-back overtime games. And, and the line is that thin between being up 3-1 if you're Tampa Bay and being down 3-1 like you are because two overtime goals didn't go your way. I mean, it's the line is just that thin. Uh, playoff hockey is fun. Uh, I almost wish it didn't happen at the same time as the NBA playoffs. I kind of focus on each individually. But uh, this is going to continue to be a fun ride. And... I look forward to seeing what's going to happen next year. Uh, so this is normally about the time we get into what's happening around sports. Uh, for me, outside of what we've already talked about, which is a lot, I do want to touch real quick on uh, the big fight we saw this weekend, a highly anticipated fight between Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia. That fight ended exactly the way I thought it would. Javante Davis's power proved to be the difference in the fight. Davis scored a second-round knockdown just to send an early message. Uh, remember, Ryan Garcia, before the fight, was talking about how Davis's punch output was low, which is accurate, and that's a true statement. But there's a reason why it's low. It doesn't have to be high when you pack the punch that Javante Davis packs. Uh, Ryan Garcia found that out in the second round. Uh, ultimately, was outclassed in this fight and finally got knocked out in the seventh round uh, with a precision liver shot. Now, a couple of things I want to address. One, there's too many people that picked Ryan Garcia to win this fight. And as far as I'm concerned, you should be ashamed of yourself because I I just really wonder why you did that. And as I'm seeing the same thing, and I don't know if it's because these guys are actually friends and actually have a great relationship that they've made sure that you know about, but Javante Davis is getting the Floyd Mayweather treatment. All Javante Davis does is beat everybody who stands in front of him. That's how he's winning these belts. He's undefeated. He's going up against everybody. And yet he gets this whole, he didn't fight anybody. He didn't really fight anybody. What's the excuse now? Because Ryan Garcia was supposed to be the somebody. By the way, going into this fight, Javante Davis had a more impressive resume than Ryan Garcia did. But I'd never heard anybody say Ryan Garcia never fought anybody. Going into this fight, a lot of people said, oh, now Ryan Garcia is going to win because he's this, he's that. He's got more reach. He's got this, he's got that. There were no excuses for Ryan Garcia before the fight. After the fight, all of a sudden, it's unfair that Javante had a hydration clause. 
You think that's the first fight ever with a hydration clause? No. It's, it's amazing to me that people are so desperate to see Javante Davis lose that they want him at a functional weight of 145 to fight somebody with a functional weight of 160. Like, oh, well, what do you need? Why, why do you want Javante Davis to lose so bad? Ask yourself that. Because it is not practical, it's not logical as far as your reasoning for why he was going to lose this fight. So I can't wait for revisionist history to pop up once again and for people to act like Ryan Garcia is a nobody just because he's another notch on Javante Davis's belt. Uh, it, to me, it's, it's, it's outright embarrassing that people who call themselves boxing experts will sit there and pick Ryan Garcia just because they have some type of personal problem with Javante Davis. I don't know what it is, know what he did to people. I don't know if it's because he, he the way he talks or the way he carries himself, he got too many tattoos. I don't know what it is. But at some point, people are going to have to respect Javante Davis for the champion. He is the best fighter in the division. I, I personally would like to see a, a Javante Davis versus Devin Haney type of fight. I'm going to go ahead and say Devin Haney's going to beat uh, Vasil Lomachenko. And then after that, we, you know, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just tired of seeing the disrespect to Javante Davis. I'm glad the fight went exactly the way I thought it would go. And, again, I, I just want people to respect Javante Davis because we are talking about a fighter who, regardless of what you may think about his appearance or how he talks or anything else, in the ring, he is a genius. Okay, there's a reason why he's knocked out all but, I think, two fighters he's ever fought. And Isak Cruz, again, one of those, again, another one of those nobodies he's fought. He was able to beat Cruz without knocking him out. But, but we're talking about the most accurate power puncher in the sport. And for somebody who never has a reach advantage, to have that stat and be number one in that stat doesn't get enough respect, and he doesn't get enough respect as a fighter. Also, somebody who rarely gets hit by a square shot. So you're talking about somebody whose defense matches his offense. So I, I just want Javante Davis to get the respect because we are looking at a Hall of Fame caliber career that's not getting the appreciation it deserves. Yeah, it's a weird, um, you know, same with Floyd Mayweather. I, I like that analogy. That's a good one. Um, people just find guys in boxing and I think it just comes with the fact that Muhammad Ali lost and Mike Tyson lost and all the people that they think are greats right like oh you have to you have to eventually lose you didn't fight nobody it's the same thing they did with Floyd um or whenever he I mean I mean for me when he did fight Pacquiao I thought it was a 12 years too late in my opinion uh, they, I'm not saying that he shouldn't have beaten him in that fight. That was that fight, and he did beat Pacquiao. I'm just saying for my liking, I would have liked if they fought that fight earlier uh, for both of them. Um, but other than that, I don't know what else you guys want people to do in boxing nowadays. I mean, boxing isn't, for me, it's not as exciting as it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. I just don't think there's just the caliber of boxers that there are now. But... What else do you want Javante Davis to do? He beat everyone that has been put in front of him. And but it's always, anytime there's someone undefeated, there's always a but, right? There's always a but in every conversation. It's But he, he didn't fight this person. He didn't fight this person. This person wasn't in his prime. Or there was a mole in his camp. Or there was this or there was that. It's just always an excuse um, when someone loses that someone thinks they should have won. Um, and it, it just, just, it's just tiring for me in boxing to even have to listen to all that. It's just kind of like, 
it just makes the sport uninteresting. And then, you know, most of the fights that people want to see happen don't happen because of they're not on the right promotion or they're not on this or they're not on that. And so, you know, um, I was happy we got to see this fight um, finally happen. Um, you know, but I just don't know what else people want for the sport. You know, who else do you want someone to fight if it's not another undefeated boxer? Who else do you want? And and for people to keep saying that they think he faked it, uh, you've never been punched in the body before. It, it, I'm just confused. <laughs> I'm just confused by all these people saying body shots don't hurt. And it, I mean, I understand it wasn't a flashy knockout. It wasn't a Mike Tyson rock you in the face knockout, but. You've never been punched in the stomach before. That I'm sure Ryan Garcia was probably pissing blood for like three days. Like that, that was probably not a fun body shot at all to take. And if you see the one camera angle, it kind of shocked Javante Davis too. He hit, he hits him, and he knows he hit him well. And then he sees Ryan Garcia's face, and he sees the pain, and he's kind of shocked. It's actually a pretty cool camera angle to see. He was like, "Oh, he's done," and that's why he was about to advance on him until Garcia was like, "I'm, I'm not getting up." Um, but it was that's how powerful that shot was um, that it just caught everyone by surprise, essentially. So again, I don't know what else you want certain boxers to do. And there's always a what if nowadays, and and I feel for me that just kind of taints boxing because. You always, you're always, everyone's always trying to question someone's legacy instead of just enjoying them in the moment. And, you know, it, I just feel like it's not fair to that boxer. So, a uh, big win for Javante Davis. Uh, hopefully, he can keep it going and just keep proving all these doubters wrong because at the end of the day, I mean, he's undefeated. You can't take that away from him. just like everyone who hates Floyd Mayweather. They can't take away that. He never lost professionally, and people who bring up his amateur record are hilarious to me. So glad glad he got the W. Uh, that body shot, I do not want to be on the receiving end of that. That thing looked painful. Um, and again, for people saying that body shots don't hurt, just go ask a random stranger to punch you in the stomach as hard as they can. I'm sure you will not enjoy it. That wraps up this episode of Two Guys, Four Balls. Uh, thanks for the listens. Thanks for the support. Uh, remember to check out our Facebook page, Two Guys Four Balls. You can follow us on Twitter at Two Guys Four Balls. Remember number two, number four. Uh, again, we appreciate you tuning in. Plenty of material going on, and keep in mind this is a busy week: NFL, NBA, NHL. Every everybody's got things going on, so uh, continue to stick right here with us, and we'll uh, keep this rolling right along for you. Thank you as always, and be well. Thank you for listening to the two guys, four balls, podcast.